0: All right, we're back in Luke 16. You got your Bibles with you. Open up that analog, digital, whatever you got. Title of my message is making choices. I love it when I make good choices in life. Isn't it great to make a choice? I'm this I was always prone to overthink everything. If I had $10 to spend when I was a teenager, I would think this is the last $10 I will ever have. I better, I I would go to the record store. Remember records? Remember those big flat things? And I would think, which one do i buy i was obsessed with music as a teenager i i remember to this day in carson california standing at the record store thinking should i spend my last eight dollars to my name on the new Elton john record the answer is yes <laughs> yes remember captain fantastic no check it out on spotify it was amazing I don't wanna talk about the bad choices I've made. I've put them out of my mind, but the truth is we have all made some bad choices that we are still maybe suffering the consequences for, but thank God for the grace of God. I think it's one of the most basic lessons in life, and I was talking with my wife on the way to church this morning, my lovely wife, Catherine, my assistant, she was in charge of the early education department uh, for several years at Faith Bible Christian School in Hillsboro, And she was just sharing with me this morning that one of the most basic lessons that children need to learn is to make good choices. Ice cream or vegetables? Yes, it's always ice cream. So... Uh, it's funny you would say that because we, we own two ice cream stores, two Hagen ice cream stores, California, one in Laguna Beach and one in um, Sacramento. I think it's always ice cream over vegetables. Thank you. I knew I was at the right church. <laughs> but this chapter is about the urgency of making the right choices, especially when it counts. Some things doesn't matter which way, but when it comes to hearing the gospel and I'm choosing to believe in Jesus or go my own way, that choice has eternal consequences, not just choices in how my life is going to turn out and if I'll suffer in this life for good or bad choices but literally the choice to believe in Jesus or not has eternal... that's, That's hard to even get a hold of, isn't it? But the older we get, the more and more we become aware of eternal consequences. We start to get a little bit of a glimpse of the fact that this life is really temporary, isn't it? There's no way. I just couldn't even get my mind around that concept. Because when you're young, this life is everything. And I need to get what I want in this life. But it's just a fact that with years and with experiences, experience, you start to realize This life is temporary. I am thankful for seeing those lessons and how important it is that I don't need to get everything I want in this life because this life is temporary. Have I said that enough times? (laughs) I'll say it a few more times. So here in Luke 16, we're going to pick up at verse 19, Jesus tells the true story about two men, a rich man and a poor man. And I love these stories because so much in this life, people are obsessed with fairness and justice. And here's a basic question. Is God concerned with justice? Yes, of course he is. But what we know that the world doesn't know is that God's timing of when he carries out justice is different from our timing. We want justice now. And we want those politicians or those whoever to to be put down now. Where is the, Where is God? And what we discover is that God sees everything and God has a time and place in which he will carry out his justice. So that allows us to calm down. We want fairness and it just seems like everywhere in the world is, it's unfair. The poor who suffer, the rich who get away with things. But here's what I know, that God sees what's going on. And God cares more about fairness than I do. And I've mentioned before Psalm 73, where Asaph wrote that psalm and he's complaining to God and saying, God, have I cleansed my hands in vain or for nothing? I've done what's right, but look at the rich, what they get away with. And he's complaining, God, do you see what they're getting away with? Then you get toward the end of Psalm 73, and Asaph says, Oh, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, or when I went and prayed about this matter, then God showed me what was really happening. That while it appears as if the rich are getting away with whatever they want, really there is a snare set up for them. And eventually there's going to be a day of reckoning, suffering for those who are, getting away with whatever, and the blessing of choosing to live for the Lord now, even if you're poor, even if you go without other things and promotions and other things. We're going to pick up at verse 19, and as we read through this, we realize this is a true story. Favorite topics in the Bible, top two of the favorite topics to avoid in the Bible would be money and hell. They are both in Luke 16. We've already looked at uh, the stewardship over money. Now this topic of hell, you know, an easy way to avoid this lesson is to say, well, this isn't a real story. This is just an allegory. You can count on it. Uh, whenever critics don't like a lesson in the Bible, they say, well, that's just allegorical. That's not literal. That's kind of a standard escape route for people who don't like something that the Bible says. Now, there are allegories in the Bible, but this is not one. This is not a parable. And a basic Bible study lesson to remember is that when Jesus teaches parables he doesn't use real names. That's, that's generally understood in Bible interpretation. So there are three people in the story. Two of them have real names, Lazarus and Abraham, and the rich man is just the rich man, the villain in the story. So let's read through this. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. verse 25 but Abraham said son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and you are tormented and besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us Verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead they will repent. This is an amazing glimpse into a world outside of our everyday life. It is amazing. You remember that Jesus is is really in the final months before the cross. The disciples are given the great commission to take the gospel into all the world. And it is urgent that they deliver this message to the entire world that judgment is coming. Paul will say that in the book of Acts, there is a day appointed in which God will will judge the entire world by his son. There is a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. And it is urgent that in this life we choose. Now there are, in the many religions of the world, there are many theories, teachings about life after death. But in all of these theories, we have to decide which one is the right theory of what happens after this life. And I will tell you, if I'm going to believe anybody's story or theory of what happens next, it's going to be Jesus. Here I have Jesus who in the end has proven his word to be reliable. The greatest test of his identity, of his authority is saying that he was going to be delivered to sinful men. He was going to be crucified, buried, and three days rise again. He put his entire testimony and reputation on that event of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And here's the deal. If that didn't happen, we can discount everything Jesus ever said. And we know... That the crucifixion and the resurrection are stated among historians to be among the most verifiable events in human history. Most verifiable events in human history. Mostly because of eyewitness testimonies of these events. And Paul said in First Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to over to himself, to the apostles, and to even over 500 people at one time. And the critics, you know, have the nerve to even come up with, well, they were all hallucinating. Just these weird ideas instead of just accepting the facts of history. Now, because it happened, it can be verified with testimony. We believe what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is giving us a glimpse into life after death. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The power of the written scripture that we hold in our hands is sufficient testimony to bring us to a reasoned decision about Jesus. It's enough information. We talked about this just Tuesday night in the school of ministry. The Bible is 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament Written by over 40 authors over a 1500 year time span from different backgrounds. And yet, the Bible has such unity that we and even non believers consider it to be one book. It's not one book, it's 66 books. And yet it has such consistency, even when it deals with controversial life and death, life and death topics. And so sometimes somebody will say, well, why does it say this in this book? And we in the ministry, or you might quote another scripture to support that. Like Jesus quoted Daniel or Isaiah and critics will say oh you can't quote the bible to prove the bible have you ever heard that argument they say that is do you know what the argument is that's circular reasoning it's not circular reasoning because the bible is not one book it is a compilation of 66 books we are we have a library bound together in one One cohesive testimony that when the world even says you can't quote from the Bible to prove the Bible, they are even testifying to the fact that that it is consistent in its testimony. Do you realize that? They're even admitting it agrees with each other and it does not contradict itself. But don't get thrown aside or tripped up by somebody saying, well, that's circular reasoning. It's not circular reasoning. I'm not quoting from Matthew to prove Matthew or Isaiah to prove Isaiah. I'm quoting from Jesus to prove Isaiah. I'm quoting from Revelation to prove Jeremiah. It is over 40 authors over 1,500 years. So as Peter said in Second Peter, we have the prophetic word verified. It's been proven. It's been proven and verified to be true. So in this story that maybe some of you have never read about the next life, we need to take it seriously. Two men who knew each other In this life, a rich man and a poor man, because even the poor man laid at the rich man's gate, hoping for crumbs from his table. So that means that the rich man could have helped Lazarus at any time. When each man died, their bodies would have been laid in different places. The rich man would have been laid in a tomb carved out in solid rock where the rich are buried his own Uh, You know, all the expensive preparations. The poor man, Lazarus, his body would have been thrown in a trash heap and burned. The lessons we absolutely, I want you to take away from this is, first of all, that each man chose what he received, what he chose in this life. The rich man is suffering. The poor man was comforted. They each received what they chose. Do you see that? Now, the context of this whole picture of what is Hades or Abraham's bosom is the picture of what happened before the resurrection. Before the cross, when people died, they went to this temporary place. The rich man chose to serve his place and went to a place of torment, although even that place would be temporary. Hades, a temporary place of the unrighteous dead. A temporary place. Until later in the future, they will be sent to an eternal place of torment we call hell. That's in Revelation 20. I'm going to read verses 11 to 15. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire." This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So even now, those who die who have rejected Christ are in a temporary place. Do you know where that place is? Kind of, it's kind of weird to think of it. It's, it's in the earth. In Revelation, where where an angel was given the key to the bottomless pit, the abuso, and opens up, and out comes demons. These are things we don't talk about until we get to those books in the Bible that address these things. But Lazarus also went to that place, but a place of comfort. It was called paradise, or Abraham's bosom and what's interesting is that they could see each other at that time have you ever heard these things before Lord of the Rings something no I love this passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. uh, Write this down, verses 7 to 11. Paul writes that when he ascended, Jesus, on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. A little glimpse there, but in a snapshot, when Jesus died on the cross, he descended to that place of paradise where they were being comforted with Abraham. And what did he do? He proclaimed victory over Satan he declared victory over Satan and he led them. He led captive. Those who were there captive or waiting, he led them free to heaven. Isn't that amazing? He went down and declared victory and he led them. Amen. The second thing I want you to write down is that when we die, We here today, we go to a place that is permanent. They, many, went to a temporary place. If you have believed in Jesus, you go to heaven. Paul said that to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. In other words, you get what you have chosen and it is permanent. It is permanent. Neither could come back. And the rich man would say, Abraham, send someone back to tell my brothers or send Lazarus back. He said, no, it's too late. It is too late. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That sounds... it's sensational if someone came back from the dead they would believe the more you you think about that you think well didn't that already happen didn't jesus come back from the dead and declare victory and we are the ones who are saying this already happened and you should believe in jesus In these things that are unknown and unseen to us, I either believe Jesus' testimony or I don't. That once we die, we receive the consequences of the choice we've made. And it's my job, it is your job to appeal to people to make a choice. Isn't it interesting how people act like, well, if I only had more information, if I only had more time, And Abraham is saying, Jesus is saying, you have enough information. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Right right here today, I don't know everyone here, how many of you have been born again, how many of you haven't. But what I know is that every one of you is completely free to choose whether you will believe in Jesus or not. It's so easy to blame something. I would have, but this happened to me. A lot of bad things have happened to people in this life. And those bad things certainly affect the quality of our life sometimes, don't they? What I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that my becoming a child of God was not helped or hindered by suffering in this life. And in fact, if you look at the rich man and the poor man, which one had the disadvantage for believing in Jesus? Which one had the disadvantage, the rich man or the poor man? We always think, well, the poor man who suffered, who lived on the street, he had the disadvantage. But in the eternal perspective, and whether a person can choose to believe in Jesus, or shall I say, whether a person sees that they need to be saved, which one had the disadvantage? It was the rich man. Because he thought, my life is amazing. I don't need to be saved. Saved from what? Look, I have everything I want. I have a gate around my house. I have servants. I have whatever food I want. I just get my DoorDash app and have anything delivered to me. Amazon. We're all pretty rich, you know. It's the poor who have an eternal advantage because they know this life can't be all there is. The rich are clouded by the deceitfulness of riches, the Bible says. Riches lie to you. If you just get enough of it, you have secured your future. But there's no security in that. I know that my life has been blessed because I chose to trust the Lord. I've shared a few times that, you know, just the, the weird household I grew up in, my mother took me to church, my father stayed home and drank. Every day, I, my father drank. I, I don't even know a day when I was growing up, that my father did not get drunk. And yet somehow my mother took me to church week after week, week after week. And I, I literally, as sometimes I share my testimony, I grew up between two choices. I mean, it was right there in front of me and I could see the two choices played out. My mother who was committed to the Lord and in spite of the the horrible home, she had peace. How did how did my mother have such peace? And I could see it. And yet I could see my father and the choices he made. And when I started dating Catherine Wilson, whose father is a pastor, whose mother is a pastor, whose brothers, two brothers are pastors, the whole family. Uncles, college deans, Christian college deans, they're all like, really? You want to marry that guy? (laughs) I wanted to play drums. I worked graveyard. So when I was around the family, I was sleepy. I probably talked about Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and uh, what new drums I wanted to buy or something, and they were all... Oh, serving God, and I was talking about music. And when we were talking about marriage, I mean, her mother, it's like, well, won't he'll probably, well, how'd she say it? He'll probably take the money you spend on diapers and buy drumsticks with them or something. <laughs> yes. I showed her. <laughs> yeah, just out of spite, I became a pastor. <laughs> well, having. Uh, An alcoholic father, it it could either have pulled me into it, but it had the opposite effect. I could see where that was going to go, and I'm going, I don't want that. I don't want that. Now, my father should have been a minister. He was in seminary with Jerry Falwell, not Jerry Falwell. Yeah, with Jerry Falwell. My mother told me when I was a teenager, so my father should have been a pastor and trained me to be a pastor, but he left seminary, moved to California, became an alcoholic, but the Lord had plans for my life, and now my father-in-law is a pastor. He's 94 now, and he might be watching online right now down in Laguna Hills. And what I have put to the test, all I mean by my testimony is I put to this to the test. If I trust the Lord with my life, will he work out his plans for my life and give me a future and a hope? Jeremiah 29, 11. It's yes or no. And the Lord has kept his word. The Lord has kept his word. The last thing I want you to write down as we close this message, number three is that Jesus has eliminated any other life and death theory. Well, we all talk about our different theories, reincarnation, purgatory, annihilation, reincarnation that you're going to come back in another life in, a, in another life and offset the mistakes you've made in previous lives. The problem is none of you can remember any mistakes you've made in previous lives. And then you come back in another life and you make more mistakes. And you have to come back in another life and make up for those mistakes. And then you have to come back in another life and make up for those mistakes. That's why they call it the wheel of reincarnation. Why? Because even if it was true, you could never get off of it. Purgatory, go to a temporary place, suffer and for your sins, and then you go to heaven. Nope. That would mean that Jesus suffering on the cross wasn't sufficient. It was sufficient. Annihilation, that would be convenient, meaning that once you die, you go into the grave and into non-existent, and that's all that there is. That means go ahead and live like hell because there's no consequences for it. There's no judgment. we ultimately know that there is an eternity and there is a a reckoning for our decisions made in this life. And it really doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. I just want you to choose the Lord and put your life in his hands. Amen. Let's stand together. And today we are going to receive communion together. I want my prayer team up here but let me ask you have you made this choice to put your life in the Lord's hands maybe you're born again but maybe you're not trusting the Lord every day for your life and I just want to remind you stop looking around at how unfair life is the Lord is with you And the Lord is able to bless you in spite of what anybody has ever done to you. If you're rich or poor, let the Lord direct your life. Lord, today we choose to put our life in your hands. We choose life, not death. And Lord, help each one of us to Consider our choices. Have we ever made that choice?